18, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. And let's read together at verse 10. Matthew 18, 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? The man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So is not Uh, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Well, we've been thinking about how Jesus uh, in this chapter and in this section is seeking to protect His flock, protect His church, protect protect them from those outside and those inside the church. He gives a warning here to those who are uh, uh, Christians, perhaps in leadership position, or uh, mature Christians and so on, uh, in the early stages of this chapter, that we live in such a way as to encourage uh, those who are more tender in the faith, those who may be younger in the faith, that we don't cause them to stumble. That we don't live a life that offends people, makes them think less of the Gospel, less of the Christian faith, and so fall away. And Jesus accentuated that by saying it would be better for that person to have their life cut short than to cause other ones to be led astray into sin and and to fall away. Uh, We went on to see the the uh, dire way in which Jesus tries to encourage uh, uh, people to think seriously about their sin. And that if there is sin in their lives, they take drastic action against it, lest that sin lead them to destruction. Here, Jesus uh, continues on in this section as uh, He uh, thinks about those Again, tender sheep, those who are perhaps in a vulnerable position. One of these little ones, uh, that they not be despised, that they not be overlooked. And he, he wants to, again, impress upon the church and impress upon leaders in the church the way he thinks, the way he reasons, the way he looks at all of His people. And He encourages everyone in the church to share that same vision that He has for every single person in the church. That every one of His sheep are precious to Him. And that because we are prone to pride, prone to busyness, prone to uh, overlook things, we are prone to sometimes forget about those who are less, who are perhaps more vulnerable uh, in the church. 
And so we get a real window into the heart of Jesus himself. We get a, a window into the way he thinks about the church. Not as a huge mass of people. But he thinks about us individually. Yes, he thinks of us corporately as his body. But he also thinks of his people individually. That we, he, he impresses upon us so often through the scriptures that he looks at us as if we were the only person on the face of the earth. He uses that kind of language of the hairs of our head are numbered. That uh, he knows the words on our lips before we say them. Uh, all of these ways in which God uh, emphasizes his special unique care for each and every one of us. And so God, because God never despises his people, not one of them, then he is encouraging we in the church, and especially those who are in leadership, also to share the heart that he has for every last one. That we share the heart of God to do all we can to acknowledge, to protect each one. And so as he has been telling them earlier not to put stumbling blocks in the way of those who are perhaps more vulnerable, so here he now tells them to care for those who are overlooked. Those who may not be preeminent in the church. Those who may not be pushing themselves to the front of the line. But like a good shepherd, knowing the sheep, knowing every one of the sheep, saying, I know each one of my sheep. I know the one that's always trying to get into the trough first. And I know the one that's always getting lost. The, the good shepherd, a, a, any good shepherd, was the one who saw his sheep not only collectively, but also individually. He calls them by name. They know his voice. And so the Bible all throughout speaks in, in the most tenderest of terms, in terms of the relationship between God and not only the flock, but each individual one. And that, in fact, more attention is to be paid to these ones who are, whom we tempt, we're tempted to overlook. That's turning the thing upside down, isn't it? It turns the world upside down. We're then called to say to ourselves, we need to stop thinking the way we normally think or the way, the way the world thinks and start thinking the way Jesus thinks. To have his heart, to have his eyes, to has, have his perspective on the church. So that every person in the church is equally valued. So we're called upon here in this parable uh, to have the heart of Christ. To have the mind of Christ. To have the very mind and heart of God. And he encourages us in three ways here. Uh, and all brought to you by the letter P, as is the letter we are often uh, want to use. Uh, but for some reason, P is uh, helpful. Uh, first, 
he wants us to value all of his people because of their protection, the protection that they are afforded. Then, secondly, the priority that they are given, that God gives them. And then, thirdly and lastly, the, the pleasure that they give to God himself. So let's look at these three things. Their protection, their priority, and the pleasure that they give. First, he says, their protection. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. And by despising, as I said, it means to disregard them, not value them. Again, when we look through the Gospels, we often see that, don't we? Where the disciples were chasing people away, Jesus was saying, what's going on? What are you doing that for? They were despising them. They weren't giving them their true value. Shooing the children away. Away with you. Or if it was somebody who was calling out to Jesus, sick or blind, keep quiet. What were they doing? They were despising them. You're not worthy of the attention that we are of Jesus. See, that's the way we are. The disciples were doing the same thing as they walked along. Who's the greatest? They immediately assumed there was a pecking order. They immediately assumed some were more worthy than others. And so they were despising some. They were overlooking some. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Or we can think of blind Bartimaeus. and He was crying out and they were telling him, be quiet. No, he was brought, then he was brought to Jesus. You see, this is, this is what it looks like. And Jesus says that's not the way it is to be at all. For indeed, the weakest, the most vulnerable, and those who are overlooked are the ones that I, in my heart, in my mind, bear most particular attention to. And then he says, how is it with us? Well, the disciples, as we can see through the Gospels, were really failing in that regard. They had to learn that lesson over and over again. They had to learn the heart of their master. We need to learn. We need to, through things like this, get a sense, a window into the heart of Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that we can know Jesus in that way? And say, this is how Jesus thinks. This is how the Father thinks. This is how he feels about his flock. This is how he feels about those around him. And we are then called to imitate God in that way, aren't we? We're called to imitate God in terms of his priorities and his heart. So he says, do not despise these little ones. And the first reason that he gives takes us right into the throne room of heaven itself. Jesus catches us off guard, doesn't he? Jesus takes us to a place where I wouldn't have dreamed he would have gone, but he opens up a window for us into a reality that we don't often think about, but nevertheless, there it is. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. They're angels. Now what is it telling us about there? Does the Bible say that we all have 
each one individually guardian angels, as some uh, might say. Well, not necessarily. The Bible isn't suggesting that. In the book of Daniel, for example, it says that uh, some angels have charge over certain nations. They represent certain nations. They might represent groups of people. And that is entirely all, all that, that, that the Bible might be saying at this point. There's lots of things that we do know about angels in the Bible, but there's lots of questions about, about angels that are uh, kind of tantalizing for us. Like, where are the angels? When are the angels here? Uh, what exactly do they do? Well, it leaves us with lots of questions. We do know this, that there are angels, that the Bible is full of accounts of angels coming to visit people. We know that in the Christmas story where there was Heavens were filled with the heavenly host and so on. All these things were true. And yet the Bible speaks very broadly about the reality of angels. That it speaks of the fact that angels are called upon to care for the heirs of salvation. Now we're told that in uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Um, where it talks about the angels being uh, inferior to Jesus. That's the whole point of the first chapter of Hebrews there. It talks about the fact that uh, uh, they are ministering servants. Ministering spirits, rather. Sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Those who are to inherit salvation is just a way of saying those who are believers, those who are Christians. We inherit what Jesus died to give us. We inherit the kingdom of God. We inherit eternal life. All of these things is just a way of describing God's people. And, in, and broadly speaking, the angels help us in that way. We began by singing in Psalm number 91, uh, where it tells us, He will charge His angels with your care to guard you in their footsteps, everyone. They will uphold and bear you on their hands lest you should strike your foot against a stone. Again, they're just speaking in very broad terms. How does that work? Is it when we're driving down the road? Well, I was saying to the folks in Cape Travers this morning, sometimes I think that angels are with me when I'm driving. When you go to pull out of a driveway and all of a sudden you're just ready to jut out into the traffic and you stop and think, you look this way and a car goes zooming by. Uh, you may want to think twice about uh, driving with me or praying before you drive with me. But uh, sometimes that happens quite frequently. Uh, but different things that go on like that where uh, you're extraordinarily blessed in some way. And people have had... Uh, uh, occasions where they say, well, I, I can't explain this except by a divine hand of God in my life. Was it when God sent His angel to help us in a particular circumstance? But there's a lot we don't know. The when and the where and the how many. 
are they here on this pew or are they sitting on the top or you know how many are there and all these sorts of things we just don't know but we we can be encouraged that God employs everything at his disposal for you and I that's what God thinks of us the heavenly host all these great glorious beings who are they what are they they are your servants they are sent to help you and to bless you in some way now just that should make me stand back and say wow that's amazing what does God think of me then if that is the case do I know everything about angels no I don't well I, there's lots of things that I'm benefited by in life that I don't understand a lot about but here the Bible says that these angels see the face of my father who is in heaven now this takes us to another realm altogether to see the face of a leader is to have access to that person if you say I see the face of the Prime Minister every day or I see the face of the President of the United States every day or the Queen of the Commonwealth every day that means that means you have access to that person and we often talk about such and such has access they met with the Prime Minister 12 times in the last month and so it it forms this impression in people's minds that 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 person has an influence over the Prime Minister or the president or whoever it may be when the free trade negotiations were going on it was said I remember hearing about the president of Mexico he visited the White House so many times 11 times 12 times in the month and so again it forms this impression that there's this bond this is connection between the two if if you if, if I knew about you that every day you had somebody represent your interests before the Prime Minister I would think completely differently about you wouldn't I as I said you know this this person Joe he has a representative that goes into the Prime Minister's office every day and he sees his face he dialogues with him he talks with him I say well Joe's pretty important everything everything this is what Jesus is talking about that these angels whether they're guardian angels in particular for one person or these angels represent a group of people or whatever it is that they have access to the father that they they are before the father all the time they see the faith and this is the language the ancient language that Jesus is using to see the face of someone is to have access to them is to be able to put your concerns before them is to be able to influence them and if that is the case then Jesus says how dare we despise or overlook or think less of any one of these little ones they have their interests represented before God through the unrestricted access of their angels 
They see the face of the Father. How much more then should we love all? All of God's children. All of God's people. Considering with particular attention those who are tempted to be overlooked or thought less of. Those whom we often judge with world, by worldly standards as the apostles and as the disciples were often doing. They're not old enough. They're not powerful enough. They're not rich enough. They're not theologically educated enough to uh, earn my time and attention. No, Jesus just flips everything upside down. Let the little children come to me. For such is the kingdom of God. And so we see their protection. We see then, secondly, their priority. If, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? Ninety and nine rem- reminds us of the, the old hymn by Ira Sankey that he, he wrote uh, traveling between Glasgow and Edinburgh when D.L. Moody was holding his revival meetings in Scotland, Ira Sankey on the train. Moody didn't have a, a hymn to go along with this text, and Sankey wrote this that hymn, the ninety and nine in the the train ride between Glasgow and Edinburgh. And it became a very famous hymn. And that's often what springs to mind when we come upon this verse. But if this man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the night he died and, uh, and go in search of the one that went astray? This brings in a whole theme then of God as shepherd. That was, that, that was on the heart of Jesus. It wasn't just in the mind of Jesus. It was on the heart of Jesus. That whole idea of the shepherd goes from Genesis all the way to the very book of Revelation. And is it any wonder that Jesus spoke of it often? That he called himself the good shepherd. And he did so because this was the passion of God because he saw for so many centuries his people Israel not shepherded properly by the leaders. They would go to feed and the leaders would trample on the grass that they were going to eat. They would go to drink and the waters would be muddied by the leaders. And God says, I am against the shepherds. And one day, I, I myself, will come and shepherd my people. So you can see why this is on the, not only the mind of Jesus, but the heart of Jesus. He has the heart of a shepherd. That's why he's called the good shepherd. And it's, not, it's important for us not only to leave, to, to, to leave it there, but to define what the good is about the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How do you think of God as shepherd. What are, the, what are those good things that you look for from God? Is it pleasure? Is it money, friends, career, all of these things? Jesus defines for us what principally ought we to think about the good in the good shepherd. 
and how God has provided for us. So you see, the, the, the ancient shepherds were not feeding the people. For lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. That's what God says. My people are lost. They don't know the way of salvation. And so they were lost because their shepherds didn't care. And God, with this, this burden, says, I myself will come. What a determination on the part of God, right? That He would come as a child in Bethlehem and be born and grow up and be tempted and forsaken and die on a cross. All for the sake of what? Shepherding His people. Giving His life. Giving his, shedding His blood for His people. Is He not the Good Shepherd? This is His burden. And this is His glory. And this is what Jesus is saying. Will He not leave the ninety-nine? Now who are the ninety-nine? Well, the ninety-nine are those who are believers who have not strayed. Here's a straying sheep. How do they stray? Well, maybe stop coming to church, fall into some kind of moral failure. Maybe they're following somebody on YouTube and leading them astray in some way, causing them to undermine their confidence in the Scriptures or Jesus. Could be a busy lifestyle that's taking them out of church and and taking them, making their job the most important thing in their lives. Whatever it is, they begin to fall away. He leaves the ninety and nine. Those who are, by all uh, accounts, walking in a consistent way with God. Now why does the shepherd leave the ninety-nine? Aren't they now in peril? Isn't he endangering them? Well, oftentimes... Shepherds moved in groups. And he could say to Brother Jacob, Jacob, can you watch over my 99 here? They're all just gathered around here. But there's that one, and I know which one it is. He's always getting himself into trouble. And I know exactly where he is. I know exactly what his needs are. I'm going after him because he's as precious to me as all the others. And so goes and he finds that sheep. That's why I said at the beginning that God is interested in us individually. We see that so much in the ministry of Jesus. He sits down at the, and, and he talks to the woman at the well. She has had five husbands and now she's living with a man she's not married to. And yet Jesus sees her as a lost sheep and he deals with her on an individual basis. He knows she's a lost sheep. He knows that there's so many issues in her life and he deals with her so gently, so tenderly. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, he would have given to you living water. He doesn't berate her. Another woman uh, having a flow of blood for 12 years and she spent all her money on, on, on physicians. Didn't help a thing. She tries to get to Jesus in the crowd. And she, this weak woman pushes her way through the crowd and finally says, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And in that great crowd, and all the people are pushing and shoving, Jesus is crowded. He, ste- he steps back and says, somebody touched me. 
And the disciples are amazed. They're amazed with how individualistically he looks at people. Lord, the crowd is crowding around you and you say, who touched me? I felt power drain from me. This weak, weary woman had made a faith connection with Jesus. And as far as he was concerned, she was the only person there. It's like when you get something in your eye, a squirt of lemon or a bit of something, you can't do anything until you get that out of your eye. You can't continue talking, you can't continue working, nothing. You've got to get that out of your eye. Just you say, hang on a second. You're working it out of your eye. And that's the way Jesus was. And that's the way Jesus is today. He's, he treats people individualistically. You can think of Zacchaeus or other people like that. Zacchaeus up in the tree. This great crowd moving along the road. He can't, he can't even see him. He's got to climb up the tree. Zacchaeus, he says. He points him out. He finds him. He's a lost sheep. Jesus knows it. I must have dinner at your house today. This is the way Jesus is. This is the way He is with us. He knows you. He knows everything in your heart. What keeps you up at night. Your fears. Your worries. He knows your past. He knows your present. And He still says, come. He still says, believe. He still says, I love you and I care for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am the good shepherd. Don't judge me by the leaders of the world. I am altogether holy as a shepherd. And so we see their priority, their protection. And then the pleasure that they give to Jesus. Why should we not despise anyone? Because of the pleasure, the great pleasure it gives to Jesus when one of his sheep are found. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. Jesus rejoices when we return. That's why, again, one of Jesus' most famous parables is the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who went out and spent everything on prostitutes and drugs and drinking and riotous living. He wasted it all. His father's inheritance brought the family name into disrepute. And yet it tells us, while he was yet a far way off. Some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. While he was yet way down the road, the father spotted him, ran to him, fell on his neck and kissed him. Nothing else mattered. Put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. Put a robe on him. Kill the fatted calf, for this my son who is dead is now alive. See, that's, that's, that's why it says he rejoices over more than the 99. It doesn't mean he doesn't love the 99. But because there's this particular attention to the lost, just like a, a mother may have, you know, all her children are well, but there's that sick child. And when that child gets well and recovers, the mother rejoices over that child. The other children may be looking and say, well, why is mom giving so much? Because that child was sick. That child was lost. 
Friends, does Jesus not have a tender heart? Do we not get a beautiful window into the heart, not only of Jesus, but the Father? That's who, that's who Jesus was describing in the prodigal son. He was describing the heart of the Father for the Son. When He recovers Him, He brings Him back rejoicing, throwing Him over His shoulders, coming back to the rest of the shepherds with in victory, holding that sheep on his shoulders, saying, I found him. He was in that ravine, or he was caught up in the barbed wire, wherever he was, and he comes back with great joy. That's how Jesus feels. If you find in the providence of God, and I hope none of you do, that you get away from church, never ever think that you should feel bad about coming back. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 that have no need of repentance. That's how we as a church ought to rejoice as well. Knowing ourselves. Prone to wander, Lord, I know it. Prone to leave the one I love. That's the way the old hymn goes. In other words, you know yourself. You say, but for the grace of God, I might have fallen away. I might not even be here. And when I see this brother or sister coming back into the church, I rejoice with heaven. Because I know that it's the will of God that not one of these little ones should perish. The, fathers, the Father sent His Son to deliver all of them, to rescue all of them, and not one will be plucked from His hand. Not one. He knows them so well. He knows them individualistically. And so we must also bear the heart of God. If this is the way God is, how is it with us? How is it with us when people may stray from the church? People who we may not have seen for a long time, do we care about that? Does it ring alarm bells in our minds? Does it set us to pray or pick up the phone? He's speaking particularly to leaders here, but it's really, it's the care of all believers in the church that we don't simply look at those who are most prominent, those who are most regular, but say, do I know my church? Do I know my brothers and sisters in that church? Also, one last thing, we must, if we become members of a church, we must open ourselves up to one another. Not simply say, I'm coming into church for a little bit of content, hoping everybody leaves me alone, and I'll go home. And just stay off my back. And <laughs> you know, When you become a member of a church, you become a member of a family. You, in all humility, you submit yourself to the body of Christ. You submit yourself to be accountable so that if you find yourself in trouble, or find yourself straying. You're allowing the church, you're allowing those who lead in the church to come and say, how is it with your soul? How is it with your life? That's so important. Oftentimes, we live individualistically. Now, it's one thing for Jesus to see us as individuals. It's another thing for us to live individualistically. That means live as if the church doesn't matter to us. I can watch something on television. I can listen to a podcast. I don't need the church. Charles Stanley isn't going to phone you up and see how things are going. 
David Jeremiah, a great speaker, he's not going to phone you up and see how things are going. But we have that responsibility to yield ourselves unto one another, to be accountable, but also to be watchful. Because Jesus, in three ways, gives us the reason why we ought to treasure one another. That our angels see the face of our Father. That if we are lost, that the Good Shepherd comes looking for us, and rejoicing over our being brought back into the fold. And so, friends, as we, as we look at this passage and as we go from this passage this morning, let us continue to remember. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind to start thinking God's thoughts after Him. To have the heart of God and not the ways of the world, not the priorities of the world, not looking at people. That's the way Paul says we don't look at people the way we used to. But we look at them through the eyes and the heart of Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, as we go from